0: Hello, everybody. Thanks for downloading this podcast from the BJOG. I'm very uh, happy to be joined today by uh, Professor Mark Kilby. Professor Kilby is a fellow of the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists, a former president of the British Maternal and Fetal Medicine Society, a lecturer at Birmingham University and a consultant at the Birmingham Women's Hospital, where we're recording the podcast today. Professor Kilby has two articles in uh, two manuscripts in the Jog. The first one that we'll discuss is an analysis of the EMBRACE uh, report on neonatal uh, mortality and it's titled uh, Falling Perinatal and Neonatal Mortality in Twins in the United Kingdom, Organisational Success or Chance by Professor Kilby, Professor of Fetal Medicine at the Birmingham Women's Hospital, uh, Janice Gibson and Professor Yville who works in uh, France at Paris Descartes University. Uh, So, Professor Kilby, uh, thanks for joining us, first of all. Thank you. Nice to be here. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So this is a commentary on the June 2018 Embrace report, which seemed to show some encouraging results in terms of a reduction in the rate of stillbirth in twins. And this was a reduction in the rate of stillbirth over, correct me if I'm wrong, four years from 2013. That's correct. And the rate of uh, stillbirth in twins fell from... 11.07 to 6.16 per 1,000 deliveries, in contrast to the stillbirth singleton rate, which uh, remained the same. Given that that was uh, what seemed like an encouraging headline result from the Embrace report, how did you go about sort of investigating that further? Well, thank you for that. There has been a lot of discussion
1: about about the uh, embrace statistics that were published, the perinatal surveillance report, as you say, from 2013 to 2016, and highlighting in particular the fall in twin stillbirth rates and early neonatal deaths in that period. Um, it's been known for a long time that twin and neonatal deaths in twins are approximately five times that of singleton pregnancies, and it's also been known over quite a long period of time that um, monochorionic twins are more at risk than dichorionic twins of all forms of pregnancy mm-hmm. loss. Um, so, one uh, although this was extremely encouraging data showing a, a quite marked fall in stillbirth and neonatal death rates over that period. We wanted to drill down and find out more information about why this was happening, whether Uh there are any associations with colonicity, as we suspected. And one of the first things that we did was to look at a wider trend. Obviously, there have been methodological changes um, in the way that... um, perinatal deaths are collected from um, CMATCH back at the beginning of this century through to the present EMBRACE system. And when you actually look at the data over um, the last 10 or 20 years, you see from really 2003 onwards a significant and progressive reduction in stillbirth rates in twins Mm -hmm. compared to singleton pregnancies. So we were interested in looking at that further and also trying to get data from Embrace, which wasn't um, reported in uh, June published report, on chorionicity and seeing how that affects outcome.
0: So so you approached Embrace and and, uh, they were able to give you more detail about the chorionicity of uh, those twin pregnancies affected by uh, stillbirth. Yeah. Yeah. and also in uh, neonatal death as well, which, as you noted, showed a, a, a modest fall as as well as a fall in, in stillbirth rates. So the fall in neonatal mortality, according to Embrace for the same period, was a, a fall from 7.81 to 5.34 per 1,000 live births. So what did the data show in terms of chorionicity and its relationship to to stillbirth and and neonatal death? Okay, so the first thing that um, Embrace were able to do is they do
1: collect data on chorionicity. So it's reliant upon the uh, people that report the data back to Embrace and then the coders that put it onto the system to record chorionicity. And in the vast majority of twin pregnancies, chorionicity was recorded. Um, There was uh, a small proportion that actually reduced over the study period um, where um, chorionicity wasn't defined, mm-hmm. but in the vast majority it was. Um, so we had those data for whether the pregnant, twin pregnancies were monochorionic or whether they dichorionic, related to stillbirth and, and neonatal death. What we didn't have was the chorionicity mix of the denominator data, Mm -hmm. and so we had to make an assumption regarding that. Now, there is quite a lot of data, both um, from large cohort studies, but also epidemiological data from anomaly registers such as the the northeastern region, that when you look at twins in total, 20% of them are monochorionic and 80% are dichorionic. So with that assumption, so we made an assumption, we were able to calculate The stillbirth rates for monochorionic twins and dichorionic twins. Mm -hmm. And that was interesting because we showed um, that, which is in figure three in the paper, that the rates of stillbirth in monochorionic twin pregnancies were significantly higher than that of dichorionic twins. Mm -hmm. Um, The dichorionic twinning stillbirth rate was. Almost, it was a little bit higher than singleton pregnancies, but it was almost equivalent to um, singleton pregnancies, whereas monochronic rates were much, much higher. But both showed uh, a trend towards reduction over the four-year period. So that in itself was interesting, Um, and again underlines the fact that um, monochoronicity is a significant risk in twin pregnancies and associated for the majority of mortality and probably morbidity as well.
0: Thank you. Um, And in the analysis of this EMBRACE report, you quite rightly say that it's uh, wise to be cautious in the analysis of this uh, drop in the headline figure of uh, stillbirth rates and, and to look out for possible confounding factors that, that, that may influence this number so, so what sort of things might that be and, and what did you consider as possible confounders here so the first thing was to be absolutely sure from the embrace team
1: that there was no change in our methodology over the 2013 to 2016 period and indeed they confirmed that was the that it, that it was indeed the case so then it was looking to see whether there were any things that have been um, implemented around by the before that study period or during that study period that may uh, be responsible um, directly or indirectly for the change in, in incidence of stillbirth rates. So it's been known for a long time, as I indicated in the introduction, that monochronicity is a particular risk. And over the last, really from 2005 onwards, um, there has been interest in this country, mainly driven by the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists, but also other stakeholders such as Tamba and the Multiple Births Foundation, to improve education um, for healthcare professionals, um, and to try and set out guidelines um, that help the management of twin pregnancies. And really from 2005 to 2008, this led to the production of the Royal College Green Top Guidelines in the Management of Monochoreic Twins, mm-hmm. first published in 2008 and then updated in 2016, highlighting um, the need for improved surveillance and outlining the particular risks of pathologies in monochronic twin pregnancies. And that's
0: surveillance with ultrasound from 16 weeks, weeks in, in, Morocco, so in, in the twin f- um, and that was underlined
1: again um, by a more generic um, nice guidance looking at twin and triplet pregnancies, mm-hmm. but again underlying the need for increased surveillance. Um, and as you say, the core, the keystone of that is surveillance, increased surveillance by using ultrasound. Now, um, that was very likely, especially in monochorionic pregnancies. And indeed, I think it has been in my own experience that pathologies like twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, associated with very high um, fetal and perinatal loss, untreated, um, detecting those um, pathologies has actually, with new, with increased surveillance, um, we're able to identify, pick up, and then potentially treat monochronic twin pregnancies in an earlier gestation than they were for instance 10 or 15 years ago Um, and that means that um, monochronic twin pregnancies will undergo uh, fetoscopic laser ablation which again is the the most um, useful treatment um, due to morbidity in um, uh, twins um, and that is occurring really between 16 and uh, 22 weeks Mm -hmm. of gestation Now on average these days uh, you get uh, about 50% two twins surviving, um, uh, 40% one twin surviving and 10% sadly no babies survive and so you can see that almost in 50% of the pregnancies treated with fetoscopic laser ablation you get one or two babies that don't survive. Mm. Uh, that would be occurring at a gestational age that is remote from 24 weeks. And that's important Mm. because embryos start to collect their data um, from 24 weeks onwards for stillbirth and neonatal deaths. So by increased surveillance and identifying very morbid conditions mainly that, that affect um, monochromatic twin pregnancies, it may be that um, many babies that would have shown up as stillbirths after 24 weeks are being lost before 24 weeks and therefore not included in statistics, which again may artificially reduce the, um, the, the stillbirth rate. The other thing that's happened as well with increased um, surveillance and national recommendations, such as the Green Top guidelines and the NICE guidance, is that it's established um, multidisciplinary teams mm-hmm. that work together within twin clinics and utilise ultrasound um, at two weekly intervals from 16 weeks in monochronic twins, and in dichorionic twins um, at four weekly intervals all the way through, and. There is some evidence um, from a a survey performed by uh, TAMBA that hospitals units that actually adhere to the NICE guidance or key markers in NICE guidance actually have lower stillbirth rates, lower neonatal death rates and indeed lower admission rates in their twins um, to special care baby units. Now uh, surveys are just what they are, they actually um, a sample um, a number of hospitals around the country, and approximately 20% of healthcare providers in England were surveyed. So it's possible that it was biased in its mm-hmm. selection of, of, um, of hospitals, but it does give interesting data showing a trend and a significant trend towards reduction in perinatal loss in hospitals which adhere to national guidelines, and that is worthy of
0: further investigation I see. I so it does seem to suggest therefore that the, the the guidelines that have come in uh this is the the nice guideline on multiple pregnancy 2011 but also the the royal college guidelines b- have been important here on uh, the management of mono- monochorionic uh, twin pregnancies those guidelines seem to have been important in improving outcomes in uh, in multiple pregnancies aside from uh, better surveillance for things like TTTS and embedding the uh, sort of gold standard therapy for TTTS as uh, laser ablation. What other changes have those guide- guidelines brought about in improving care for uh, for women with twin pregnancies?
1: Well, I think um, it's, it's meant that um, women are seen at regular intervals all the way through the their pregnancy. Uh, Ultrasound um, and ultrasonographers are a key part of those uh, multidisciplinary groups along with other healthcare professionals such as midwives. It allows the pregnancies to have abnormalities and um, complications identified at a relatively early stage Mm -hmm. because there's expertise within that group and then hopefully timely management. I think since the introduction of um, NICE guidelines and the Green Top guidelines, there have been other things that have happened. There have been a better understandings of complex pathologies such as twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, the recognition of uh, morbidities that may be associated with survivors, so, for instance, twin anemia polycythemia sequence, understanding that that needs to be looked for in uh, monochronic twins that have been treated, and also that the recognition even In treated complicated monochronic twins, especially with twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, there is a risk of um, long-term morbidity and looking for that in terms of surveillance. Mm. Of course, twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome isn't the only pathology that affects um, uh, monochronic twins and indeed twins in general. Probably one of the biggest Uh, Problems, if that's the right word, is preterm birth, spontaneous Mm -hmm. preterm birth. And the risks of that happening in twin pregnancies is extremely high. Over 50 to 60% of twin pregnancies are associated with premature birth. Mm -hmm. Um, And really our um, methods of being able to identify patients at risk of that and then treatment, if you are at risk of that, have really been um, really fortified over the last, uh, well, f- uh, 20, 30 years. There are, though, important things on the, on the horizon. Certainly, although the STOP-IT-1 study demonstrated that uh, progesterone um, in twin pregnancies may not significantly reduce the risk of preterm birth overall, there has been an individual patient analysis of the data from randomized controlled trials showing that the specific group at risk of preterm birth when the cervical length is less than 25 millimetres between 20 and 24 weeks of gestation that this group may well benefit from uh, progesterone and therefore that's Uh, worthy
0: of further analysis. So that does seem to be one area of possible progress, looking at progesterone for women with a short cervix in multiple pregnancy.
1: And there are other um, ongoing studies at the moment. So the Arab Impessary, for instance, Mm -hmm. um, has shown promise in reduction of preterm birth in at-risk groups. And again, the Stop It 2 study is randomising women with um, a cervical length of less than 38 millimetres um, to Arabin pessary or not between 18 and uh, nearly 22 weeks of gestation. And that trial will be complete by the end of January 2019 and hopefully analysis will be available for reporting at the end of 2019. And again, that's another intervention that may well... Uh, be of use
0: to reduce preterm birth um, in the future. Great. And your paper also mentions some uh, new reports that are due out next year, I think, uh, which may help sort of assess the uh, the extent of the problem uh, and, and give uh, some new uh, areas for possibly improving uh, therapy. Uh, this was uh, the Embrace has set up a working group to examine uh, stillbirths by chorionicity. Is NICE also doing some work in this area? Yes, well, NICE uh, at the present time are uh, uh, updating the
1: uh, current guidelines that were published in 2011. So that's reviewing all of the mm-hmm. uh, prenatal. Um, scoping recommendations to see whether or not there is new evidence that means that they need to be re-evaluated and that's ongoing but for the first time they're also evaluating management of twin pregnancies in the intrapartum period Um, so again those data will be available by the middle of um, 2019 and the updated NICE guidelines will be published at that time so that will be interesting I think one of the um, limitations, if you like, of the of the present EMBRACE uh, data that was published in June of this year is that the amount of associated clinical data relating and affecting the twin pregnancies um, associated with stillbirth and neonatal death was limited. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason two years ago that Um, embrace prioritised twins to be looked at in further detail was that hopefully um, by performing an audit for one year, and it will be during 2017, to look at those data in much more detail and be able to triangulate with clinical um, uh, complications that occurred, um, whether or not these were associated with or uh, there are other lessons to learn with, um, uh, from these data, both in terms of coronesti dependent twin losses, but also other factors such as iatrogenic intervention. Thank you. Um, so
0: uh, urge our uh, listeners to have a read of this interesting paper, Falling Perinatal and Neonatal Mortality in Twins in the UK, Organisational Success or Chance. Uh, by uh, Kilby, uh, Gibson, and uh, Eve Ville. Um The other paper that uh, you were involved in uh, in this month's uh, BJOG, jog Professor Kilby, was a prognosis of the co-twin following spontaneous single intrauterine fetal death in twin pregnancies. This was a systematic review and meta-analysis uh, by Mackie, Rigby, Morris, and Kilby, And my understanding of this paper is that it looks at the prognosis of the surviving co-twin following a spontaneous single intrauterine fetal death in diamniotic twin pregnancies. And overall looked at, um, was it 30... Thirty-six, sorry, thirty-nine studies uh, yeah. included in this analysis. So, so what was the the sort of main driver for conducting this meta-analysis? What what sort of problem did it seek to solve? Okay, so um,
1: really, it was looking at about six percent of twin pregnancies are complicated by a single twin demise, um, uh-huh. and obviously that's uh, any pregnancy loss is distressing, but um, in this particular uh, circumstance especially, again, affected by coronicity in monocoronic twins, because the fetal circulations are conjoined within a single placenta, um, as well as the loss of one baby, there is the potential for a compounding problem of the other baby being lost in a high proportion of pregnancies, or if the co-twin survives, there being a risk of long-term neurologic morbidity. Mm-hmm. And so, really, we're, this is the thing th- third um, systematic review that we've um, performed looking at this area to try and update um, statistics available to be able to counsel um, pregnant women couples about the prognosis for a surviving twin Mm -hmm. in this situation. Obviously, um, therefore, we had to subdivide our data based on coronicity. Yeah. I think although you say there were 39, 40 or 39 papers where we could actually extract data for meta-analysis, the um, literature um, on this topic is still relatively small, it's still relatively incomplete and under, there's underreported of key factors such mm-hmm. as whether or not there was neurologic morbidity long-term um, and also heterogeneic reporting of um, um, the results of these studies. So all of that is potentially problematic. So
0: so, so this study looked at the prognosis for the surviving twin in uh, all twin pregnancies, but obviously the results were different by chorionicity. So, so what were the key differences in terms of chorionicity in the prognosis for the surviving twin? OK, so um,
1: simply put, the risk of co-twin fetal death was significantly higher, nearly two and a half times higher in monochronic twins compared to dichorionic twins. And that was also true um, in neonatal death mm-hmm. rates. So monochronic twins, as you would expect, and other um, individual um, data have shown before, are at higher risk of both single-twin demise and probably long-term morbidity mm-hmm. as well. So that was one of the, the, the key findings.
0: So a s- striking number in this uh, paper is that uh, the neonatal prognosis for uh, surviving moro- monochorionic twins, uh, n- nearly three in ten of those uh, experienced neonatal death, uh, numbers significantly better for DCDA surviving twins, two in ten had a neonatal death. What other factors in MCDA twins were associated with a worse prognosis for uh, the surviving twin? Well, I think...
1: um in terms of gestational age at which the, uh, the event, the sentinel event, happened, mm-hmm. the, the data demonstrated that if the sentinel event, i.e. Uh, single twin d- demise, occurred before 28 weeks of gestation, then the prognosis was worse um, in terms of co-twin survival. Um, also, associated pathologies, particularly if the baby was, uh, or the pregnancy was complicated by selective growth restriction. Mm-hmm. Again, these pregnancies seemed to um, fare worse. Um, interestingly, overall, um, when a pregnancy was affected by twin to twin transfusion syndrome and a single twin, there was single twin demise, the prognosis for the surviving twin didn't seem to be worse overall and that's probably because um, the pregnancies were complicated by well treated by fetoscopic laser ablation which Protects the surviving twin from um, transfusional transfusional fetal oh, loss. See. So um, that was interesting in itself. But again, these data sets of which this was extracted from are relatively small, and as I've in, uh, indicated,
0: are, are uh, the data are variously reported. Uh-huh. And you also looked at uh, rates of preterm delivery in in this cohort of uh, twin pregnancies affected by a single uh, in utero-fetal demise. What did the study show about rates of preterm birth for this cohort?
1: Well, overall, the the risks of preterm birth were higher in monochloric twins mm-hmm. compared to dichorionic twins, um, only marginally so. I think it was nearly 60% in monochloric twins and uh, early 50% in dichorionic yeah. twins. Um, but nevertheless, there was a, was a difference. It wasn't possible for us to be able to unpick whether or not this was iatrogenic, um, you know, us intervening as obstetricians to, to deliver a pre- the co-twin when uh, an adverse event had occurred, or whether it was associated with spontaneous uh, preterm birth associated with the um, sentinel event. And certainly, again, there was um, various
0: uh, quality of reporting in the individual papers. Mm-hmm. So. so- Clearly, uh, this meta-analysis will help with more accurate counselling for for those uh, women and couples who have been affected by the uh, uh, sad demise of a twin during their pregnancy. What other practice points uh, do you think this paper raises? Well, I think in in monochorionic twins, it indicates that when
1: uh, one baby dies, there's approximately 20% chance that its co-twin will die. Um, In survivors... There is up to about a 20 to 24% chance that the surviving twin may have neurologic morbidity associated with it long term, and that's really the stat associated abnormality is caused by in utero stroke, mm-hmm. um, either um, because of poor perfusion, in other mm-hmm. words, changes in blood pressure associated with perfusion mm-hmm. or poor perfusion when the other twin dies or potentially thrombotic or um, embolic um, problems in that twin, but it's the former that's thought to be the the most likely pathogenesis of um, neurologic morbidity long-term. And as I've said, about 24% of monochronic twins with single twin survivors may have that kind of um, uh, potential risk. Mm -hmm. Um, Because of that... um, there's been increasing evidence um, over the last five or so years that, um, as well as regular sequential ultrasound surveillance in such pregnancies, especially in monochorionic twins, checking uh, particularly that the, the surviving twin is growing, but also that there is no um, ultrasound evidence of uh, neurologic morbidity um, at regular intervals by trying to detect whether there is associated fetal anemia, especially very close to the sentinel event, which um, could compound any long-term mm-hmm. morbidity. And then at some time after the sentinel event, and it's variable when that time should be, but it's usually between five, uh, four and six weeks um, after the sentinel event, to consider the use of other imaging modalities mm-hmm. such as in MRI mm-hmm.
0: to identify more subtle Um, abnormalities i see professor Gilby. thanks ever so much for sparing the time to talk to us today Uh, so so that second paper there is called prognosis of the co-twin following spontaneous single intrauterine fetal death in twin pregnancies a systematic review and meta-analysis thanks again for joining us pleasure Thank 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 you